Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. The Church of Thyatira was a church guilty of, among other sins, idolatry. As we learn where this sin had taken root there, we'll discover that this affront to God was not reserved only to their time, but has crept into our more modern times as well. Let's join Pastor Phil now to hear more. Uh, Later on, they even developed mass cards, where you buy a mass card, and of course then it's taken into a mass. uh, It could be a low mass or a high mass, depending on the price of the card. And mass was then said for person who had died was in purgatory they felt this would also help them to get out of purgatory faster etc just a little more background though on jezebel i think is interesting in jeremiah 7 verse 18 and then in chapter 44 verses 15 through 30 there is an expression that jeremiah uses called the queen of heaven that folks is really a babylonian phrase jezebel allowed herself to be worshiped as the queen of heaven But this title was given to a Babylonian goddess by the name of Semiramis, who was the wife of Nimrod, who together they founded the whole Babylonian system of pagan worship. That's significant because that system of pagan worship, which started the Tower of Babel, remember we said that Nimrod was the first cult leader on the face of the earth, organized the first false religious system at Babel, which later became Babylon, which eventually moved to Pergamos. Remember we studied the letter to Pergamos. Jesus said, I know where you dwell, even where Satan's throne is. The whole deal had moved to Pergamos. And then later when Rome came into power, the priests of this false religious system followed the money and power to Rome, established headquarters there. And eventually it came, was disseminated throughout the entire world. And we're going to read about the culmination of this false religious system called Mystery Babylon in Revelation 17, where the whole thing is going to culminate in the one world religion that Jesus Christ is going to judge. So this is some very interesting things that we're looking at here. But Semiramis was the first to be called the Queen of Heaven. And God strictly forbid the worship of the Queen of Heaven, but it remained intact And it has come down through basically every culture. Every culture has its queen of heaven, Semiramis, Isis, Venus, uh, you know, Ashtarte. Different countries call her by different names, but it's all the same goddess. And there's a whole thing we can get into we don't have time for tonight. But she's often seen as a mother holding the baby because, you know, Tammuz was the child that she bore who she said was the sun god. Uh, That's why in ancient pagan uh, drawings and things, you'll see a female uh, figure holding a baby, and they both got what we in the Catholic Church call halos. They're actually a depiction of the sun because he was the sun god. I mean, this goes all the way back to paganism. God forbid the worship of the queen of heaven, but it was passed down through various generations in, in all different cultures throughout the world, and it was kept alive even in the church at this time. 
In fact, it's come down to us through the church in the form of Mary worship. As the Roman Catholic Church has given her the title, the Queen of Heaven. And how you see oftentimes pictures of Mary holding the baby Jesus with the halo behind each of their heads. Well, you know, that's just the latest name for Semiramis, calling her now Mary. And Tammuz, likening to Christ. But it's pagan. It goes all the way back to the Babylonian mystery religions. All the way back to Semiramis, who was the wife of Nimrod. And this could be the reason, I think it's possible, that Jesus introduces himself as the Son of God because it really is in contrast to the Queen of Heaven. Queen of Heaven. It's unfortunate that the Catholic Church has basically taught that, you know, Jesus Christ is this, man, he's this hothead, judgment. And Mary, you know, we got to go through Mary because Mary has a way of soothing him, keeping him kind of calm so he doesn't destroy us, you know. And, and it's all about, you know, the mother of God, the, mo- the queen of heaven, instead of the loving Savior who died for our sins because he loved us so much, he didn't want us to go to hell. And that's the sad thing about it. And because of all of this, many have seen in this letter, again, strong references to the Roman Catholic Church, not to mention that the name Thyatira means continual sacrifice, continual sacrifice. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that during the Mass, the elements are transformed into the literal, physical body and blood of Jesus Christ in a process called transubstantiation, which simply means the substance is transformed. The substance of the bread and the wine are transformed into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ during the Mass. That's what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. They think that this continual sacrificing of Christ is what actually, and of course then when you ingest the Eucharist, it's what purchases little installments of grace that earn you your salvation. Even though, of course, Jesus said from the cross, he cried, it is finished, the work was done, our salvation was paid for, and we just need to receive it by faith. But the Catholic Mass is a continual sacrifice of Jesus over and over again. Every Mass, every church throughout the world. Now, they would deny this. I've heard Catholic apologists say, no, that's not true. You Protestants, you got this all wrong. I'm not a Protestant, by the way. I'm a Christian. If Thyatira speaks of the Catholic Church, you better hang on to your seats because Sardis speaks of the Protestant Church and nothing good was said about that church. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. But they claim, no, no, you you folks... You don't understand. It's not uh, a sacrificing of Jesus over and over again. It's a bloodless representation. Folks, it's semantics. It's semantics. Because the Catholic Church teaches that the Mass is efficacious. It's affecting something. What is it affecting? Well, when I go there and when I partake of the Eucharist, I am earning little installments of grace that earn me my salvation over time. So it's not just a symbolic thing, a bloodless representation, whatever that really means. The priest ends every Mass by saying, let us all pray now that our sacrifice is acceptable to God. So I don't know what that is if it's not a sacrificing of Christ over and over again. 
It's a blasphemy of the completed work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he died once for all and ascended back to the Father after he rose from the dead and sat down because his work was finished. He purchased our salvation. Well, Jesus goes on here again, verse 20. He condemns them for allowing this woman Jezebel to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Look, uh, it's true that in these uh, pagan feasts to these various deities, there was sexual immorality that took place. But the King James, and I think it's a broader, though, than, than just sexual immorality. The King James translates as spiritual fornication. And I think that that's really the idea here. It's not... Jesus is talking about idolatry, and idolatry is unfaithfulness to our bridegroom. We have been betrothed to Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is to be faithful to her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. When we get involved in idolatry, of course, we are now guilty of spiritual fornication or unfaithfulness to the Lord. Now, listen to me. I'm going to say something that's going to shock some of you. I hope it doesn't, but I just need to say it. The Eucharist is idolatry. The Eucharist is idolatry. Because the Catholic Church teaches that the Eucharist becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. So you are, in essence, reducing God to an image or a substance which is then used to, be, to worship Him through. As soon as the Eucharist is transubstantiated into the literal body and blood of Christ, as they claim, it is put into a monstrance. What is a monstrance? It's a little round glass-like container that the host or the wafer is slipped into the back of. So it's put on display, and it always has the, uh, the, the golden sunbursts, and it's put on display, and Roman Catholics will come, and they will bow down before it because they are worshiping Jesus Christ. That's Jesus. No, it is not. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. This church is guilty of idolatry, not to mention the other ways in which the Roman Catholic Church, and again, I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. I understand what goes on. But the Roman Catholic Church is also heavily into idolatry in the area of saints and statues and relics to be kissed and trusted in and the worship of Mary, which they claim they don't worship Mary, but I just challenge you to read some of the literature that's designed. It was written to Mary. They ascribe to her qualities that only God has. She hears all the prayers of everybody who prays over the face of the whole earth. Only God can do that. And so, you know, they claim, no, we don't worship Mary. We just, we just honor her. No, I've read literature. And I'm telling you, it's worship. So the worship of Mary, which they, who they call the Queen of Heaven, which comes right out of Babylonian paganism when God forbids. Pastor Chuck Smith put it this way along these lines. He said, and I quote, you see... The church is to be married to Jesus Christ, even as Israel was to be married to God. And married to Jesus Christ, we're to be totally faithful to Him and worshiping Him. And the worship of anything else constitutes spiritual fornication. Now, God said to the children of Israel, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You're not to make any graven image or likeness of things that are in heaven or things that are on earth, to bow down to them, to worship them. In other words, the prohibition of icons under the law. Now, with Jezebel, she brought in all these little idols of Baal. People had them in their homes. 
the introduction of little idols and the worship, the looking to them for help and guidance. And so we see the introduction of images, idols that are set up within the church, around the church, likenesses of Jesus, likenesses of Mary, likenesses of the saints venerated by the people, etc., etc. It's idolatry, it's spiritual fornication, it is something that Jesus Christ forbid. And he looks at this church and goes, I am not happy. You got some good things going on. But I am not happy with the idolatry that you have adopted in your church. He says in verse 21, I gave her time to repent. She did not repent. Possibly talking about Jezebel or this woman in the church uh, personally, but I think of the whole church generally, the whole church needed to repent. Not only was the church at Thyatira tolerant of false doctrine, but it was proud and unwilling to repent. Let me say something. Again, as one who grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, I can tell you there is a lot of pride that goes along with being a member of the only true church. That's what we were taught. Did you catch a couple weeks ago that Pope Benedict took a lot of heat? Because he said, if you're not a member of the Roman Catholic Church, you are not a member of the true church. That shouldn't surprise anybody. That's been Catholic theology for a long, long time. And when you're raised in that system, and you are taught that the Catholic Church is the only true church, it's very hard to receive from anybody that's not a Catholic. Because you're convinced everybody else is playing church or is deceived. They don't know God. We are members of the true church. So it's very hard to correct somebody. Even the Lord Jesus says, I gave them time to repent. But they have not repented. Why? Because they think they're right. There's a lot of pride there that goes along with being a member of the one true church, or so they think. Well, in verse 22, Jesus said, Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed. The word sick in the Greek is not really there. It's just a bed. I will cast her into a bed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. The idea is this. I will ca- it's kind of a play on words in a sense. I will cast her into a bed of judgment in place of her bed of lust is the idea here. She's involved in spiritual fornication. The bed of unfaithfulness and going after other deities and, and idolatry and so on. So I'm going to cast her into a bed of judgment in place of her bed of idolatry and lust. Notice what he says to this church, this apostate church, not the true church, this apostate church. It's interesting, folks, in the first three letters to the first three churches, Jesus talks to individuals in the church that were messing up and involved in false teaching. And he tells them, the few, get right. In this church, the church is so far gone, he addresses the few that really aren't too far gone and says, look, be faithful. The church in general, though, was so far gone, he knew that they weren't as a whole going to repent. So we have a shifting of gears, kind of. The first three problems in the church were basically decent churches. They just need to, a few need to repent. Now Thyatira, the church has become so corrupt, there's a few faithful, the faithful remnant is there, but there are few and far between of the whole church. But Jesus said to this church, an apostate church, unless they repent and turn from these idolatrous practices, Jesus said, I am going to cast you into the great tribulation. 
And in fact, this church is going into the Great Tribulation because in Revelation 17, we find the woman riding the beast. And as we, when we get there, you're going to see that, as many believe, and I believe it too, that really is a reference to the Roman Catholic Church that has become the really the, the leader of the one world religion, having underneath its umbrella all kinds of other religions. Uh, this last pope, John Paul II, uh, called to the Vatican uh, back in the late 90s. He had uh, leaders from all of the major religions from the world, Buddhists, Hindus, Shinto, all these different world religious, religious leaders to come to the Vatican to pray because Rome saw itself as the mother church that would bring into her, under her wings, all the other religions of the world. So the Roman Catholic Church is poising itself, positioning itself to become the one who is going to really spearhead the one world religion that the false prophet will be the leader of, who will be in cahoots with the, with the Antichrist, who will be the leader of the, world, uh, the one world government. And we'll read about that more uh, when we get to it in chapter 17. He does say, though, I will cast her into great tribulation unless they repent, uh, which means, though, that there are some in the church that if they do repent, and I do believe there are in the Catholic Church, and I don't know how many, there are true believers that have been dabbling with some of this stuff because they're Catholics. But at one point, I believe God is going to work in their hearts and they're going to begin to see. They need to separate themselves from the worship of Mary and the worship of the saints and idols and even the Eucharist. And why they would stay Catholic, I don't know, because you've just removed basically everything. But it does seem to seem that there are going to be people in the church, and maybe the Lord has got them there to be a light to the rest. I don't know. All as I do know is, if they repent, they will not be going into the tribulation, even though the church in general will be going in. So it's the idolatry that the Lord is calling them to separate themselves from. And he gets pretty harsh here. Verse 23, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give each one of you according to your works. Children are those brought up under this system from generation to generation. All the people that have been born into the Catholic Church from one generation to the next, I will kill these unrepentant, the children of the church, with death. In fact, it says, I will kill her children with death. Vincent translates that, let them be put to death with death. In other words, the second death, they're going to be cast into hell if they refuse to repent. That all churches may know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. All churches are a reference to the church throughout history. He says, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. In Romans 2 verse 6, Paul said that God will render to each one according to his deeds. And the context there was judgment. Was judgment. All throughout the scriptures, a person's works are a basis for judgment. Because their works indicate what's going on in their hearts. The actions of a person's life really stem from what's going on inside their heart. If they're truly born again, what's going to work its way out from a heart that knows and loves the Lord is good works. If they're not born again and they still have this evil fallen nature of Adam, it's going to manifest itself in ungodly things. 
That's why Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. And he was talking there about knowing true believers and false believers. Remember what Paul said, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption or hell. If you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And don't misunderstand what Paul's saying. He's not saying our good works earn us heaven or our bad works earn us hell. He is saying the works are an evidence of what's in the heart. That's why the works are important because by the works of a person's life, we can tell what's in their heart. A person can say, I love God all day long. If they're out there living lives of sin and rebellion and and evil and immorality on a daily basis, it's obvious that uh, the Holy Spirit is not in their heart. Well, he then moves to the exhortation. In verse 24 and verse 25, he says, Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And so again, there were true believers in this church, even as there are true believers in the Roman Catholic Church. But let me say this again, and I'm sorry if I offend anybody. They are believers not because of the church, but in spite of the church. Because if a person follows Roman Catholic theology to the letter, they are not going to be going to heaven because the Catholic Church teaches, among other things, that it's not just salvation by grace alone, it's salvation by grace plus your works. So now you're adding works to the gift of God's grace, thinking that that's how you're going to earn heaven. And if you try to earn what God is giving freely as a gift, he won't give it to you. Because he will not share his glory with anybody. It's not you and me, God. Didn't we do a great job in getting me to heaven? It's all you, God. The only thing I supplied towards my salvation was the sin. You did everything else. It's the poor in spirit. They shall see God. And the Greek is destitute, abject poverty. You have nothing to offer God in the way of earning your salvation. It's all a gift of grace. And Paul makes a big point throughout the entire book of Romans to say, look, either it's a gift or you earn it. What is it? It's not something you earn. It's a gift of grace. So if it's a gift of grace, why are you trying to earn it through your works? You can't. And if you try to earn it, you divorce yourself from Christ, he told the Galatians, and you have fallen out of grace and are lost. So in saying that, he's not saying that it's possible for a Christian to fall out of grace. He's speaking hypothetically. You cannot blend faith in grace with works because you divorce yourself from what Christ did. He will not give you salvation if you try to get your hand in there and to earn it in some way. Something I think is very interesting here. You may, I couldn't believe it when I, when I discovered this I was studying. When Jesus said here in verse 24... Uh, now I say, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan. The Greek word for depths there is the Greek word bathus. And it was a word that was actually used of the priests of the ancient Babylonian false religious system, which I said moved from Babylon eventually to Pergamos and then to Rome and eventually the whole world. But it was something that pertained to uh, the ancient priests of the mystery Babylonian religions. The high priest, 
don't know if we touched on this uh, last time, but the high priest of the Babylonian mystery religion. Remember, it started with Nimrod, Tower of Babel, became Babylon, which eventually became the mother of all harlots on the face of the earth. It spawned all religious systems. They all started in Babylon, basically. And the high priest of the Babylonian false religious system took the title for himself Pontifex Maximus. That was a title of the ancient Babylonian high priest. Eventually, Constantine, when he had his conversion experience, he took for himself the title. He fancied himself as the head of the church. He presided over the, of the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Later on... It was adopted by the Bishop of Rome who called himself and all the succeeding popes after him called themselves Pontifex Maximus. We even call the the Pope is called the uh, Roman Pontiff to this day. But this high priest that interpreted the esoteric doctrines of the mystery religions of Babylon was called Peter. The name means interpreter. And here's the idea. Here's what was going on. They believe that only the high priest of the ancient mystery religions of Babylon, these esoteric occult religions, only the high priest could know what was to be believed. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.